Welcome to Living For Him podcast, where in every episode, you are invited to experience the joy of a life in Christ. I'm your host, CJ Cousins, and in today's episode, it is my prayer that the primary emphasis and goal of the following message is that you hear and respond to the good news about Jesus Christ and his kingdom. So whoever you are and wherever you are, thank you for joining us. I invite you to listen with an open heart, subscribe for future episodes, and stay tuned for some next steps after this message. Enjoy. At a moment in our society where people are open to hearing about Jesus, may we seize this opportunity. Unlock us now, Father, on the revelation of your character of love revealed in your son Jesus and him crucified, we pray in Jesus' name. Let everyone say, Amen, amen. They could, they could barely catch their breath as they are running over those Judean hills, gasping for breath, and then occasionally stumbling and tripping as they're then trying to get their balance back. And basically, as they're running over those Judean hills, the words of the angel is still echoing in their minds, these Judean shepherds are hearing the words that he said that he came to bring them good news of great joy that would not only be for Israel, but would be for all people. All people. And then those, those very famous words that we often sing and talk about during this time of year, if you want to go there, Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, his birth story. And they have echoing in their minds as they're running and tripping and running to the location, to their destination. They hear these words in Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Luke chapter 2, verse 11. The angel said, for there is born to you this day. There is born to you this day a savior in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. It's hard for us to appreciate what happened when these humble shepherds heard those words. You're talking about, you're talking about as, as if it wasn't already astonishing enough, uh, intense enough that an angel was talking to them. How many of you want to have an angel show up and talk to you right now. Yeah, sounds like it'd be pretty cool, pretty amazing. Yeah, most people in the Bible, when an angel shows up, they fall prostrate to the ground. They're like, okay, I'm, I'm done. It's, 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 it's curtains for me. And then typically the angel has to go, oh, wait, wait, wait. Don't be afraid. Good news, All right? An angel is talking to them. But then, subsequently, a, the, the angelic hosts of heaven start singing to them. That's pretty intense, yes? Okay. But, but, but then they get the bombshell of their lives dropped on them. They get the announcement that the Messiah, that all of the Jews had been anticipating and hoping for all of their hopes and dreams were hanging on. He has been born, what did it say? This day. In the city of David. Where David was born and where he grew up in Bethlehem of Judea. And so they're on their way. They're running to go see this great sight. But imagine in your mind, if you will, for me, that as they're running, one of them, their eyes begins to open really wide. 
as joy is flooding his heart, as it begins to dawn on his mind that the announcement that the angel has just announced was actually literally a fulfillment of a prophecy of Isaiah. And it's in Isaiah chapter 9 where you'll find that, the, that Isaiah is depicting and describing the, the coming son, the coming Messiah, his kingdom, his reign, and, and that he would dawn on the area of Judea beyond the Jordan, not, not Judea, rather Galilee beyond the Jordan where the Gentiles are, those of the other nations are there. And that, that area would be described by Isaiah in chapter 9, the first part of the verses, as an area that has been steeped in darkness. It's a deep spiritual darkness, right? But that when this favor of light shines upon this area, upon this region, that the light would dawn upon this place that was seemingly unfavored. The light that he's talking about is not merely <clears throat> some kind of physical manifestation. He's talking about the light of God's character of love on full display in the life of Messiah who would be in the fulfillment in the region of Galilee. And then it begins to describe that the light that dawns through the coming Messiah would cause people to experience great joy great joy. They would, they would begin to celebrate and they would begin to worship and they would begin to rejoice, which is an action word, as those that celebrate the harvest, according to their culture. And so I want to ask you today, and I don't mean to sign, I know it's the Christmas season, I don't want to sound like a Scrooge today, but someone here might be asking, what's with all the joy? What's all the joy about? Why does the, the coming of the reign of the Son, the Messiah, bring so much joy? Well, I believe if we dive into Isaiah chapter 9 this morning and we begin to look, beginning in verse number 4 and 5, we're going to discover some things about why, why the birth of Jesus brings so much joy. Joy. And I believe that what we're going to discover for someone here today that may have maybe lost their joy. I'm not going to ask anybody to put up their hands now. Maybe someone needs to rediscover why Jesus brings so much joy. Maybe you'll get a deeper meaning and understanding today as we now go. Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse number 4. And let's see what the Holy Spirit has to say to us today. The Bible says this, for you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his oppressor, the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. Verse 5, for every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle, the garments rolled in blood, will be used for burning and fuel for fire. Now to understand what I just read, you need to understand what you just read also. You need to understand that Isaiah is prophesying, he is speaking, communicating to the people of Israel at a time where they, their, their persistent unfaithfulness to God, their persistent unfaithfulness to Yahweh was about to result in them being oppressed by an enemy nation. And in the midst of Isaiah the prophet pronouncing 
their impending judgment, he can't help but communicate that there is good news. Can somebody say amen? Yes. That, that, that God is not just about communicating judgment. He's saying, look, there's some good news, right? And here's the good news. The good news for them is that, yes, you're about to go under some punishment for a little bit, right? You're about to be oppressed, yes, for a little bit. But when the coming of the Messiah happens, it's going to mean for you freedom from oppression. It's going to mean your deliverance. You see, he's talking to a people that have had a long history of being oppressed by enemy nations, surrounding nations, yes? And so to give them an example that they can understand, he then borrows the story from the, the book of Judges. You may be familiar with the story of Gideon and, and the 300, yes? The Israelites were oppressed by the Midianites, and God uses Gideon and 300 men to accomplish victory for Israel with the massive Midian army, yes? And so he's saying, look, just like when I accomplished victory, just like when I accomplished deliverance from oppression, in the time when Midian was oppressing Israel, he's saying the same thing is going to happen when Messiah comes. Now, is that, is that good news for anybody in the house this morning? Is that also raising some questions for anybody in the house this morning? Because what happened when Messiah came? Did he get an army? Did he get 300 men? Hmm. So how is it that Messiah and his coming reign would accomplish this freedom from oppression. There's a little something you need to understand about Jesus and the fulfillment of all the expectations of Messiah that he came to fulfill, most notably the cross, amen? There's something you need to understand about it, and that is that when Jesus came, he came, one, to bear a, a, a cross before a crown, yes? Okay, he came to usher in a kingdom Okay, And that kingdom, yes, would accomplish freedom from oppression, but watch this. Sometimes what we can do is tend to overly spiritualize some of the prophecies and say, oh, the actual oppression he was coming to set us free from was the oppression and freedom from sin and Satan. Are you hearing me? So we might actually read that and go, okay, well, yes, but what he really meant was Satan is the oppressor, and rightfully so. A matter of fact, the, the, the truest, the greatest oppressor is Satan. Matter of fact, he's the oppressor behind all oppression. Amen? Okay. But, but watch this. The, it, so we may go, okay, then he really, what he meant there was that uh, Isaiah meant that Jesus would come as Messiah, and he would free us from the oppression merely of our own prison of sin. We're merely, to be, we're merely to be set free from the oppression of sin and Satan. But watch this. Listen. The internal freedom from the oppression of sin and Satan was always intended to effect an external freedom from oppressive systems in the world. Under the reign of Messiah. 
And this is what the meaning, this is a very underappreciated aspect of the meaning of Messiah's birth. It's not merely an internal freedom and personal, private, individualistic, kind of like in our Western culture, type freedom that he was coming to accomplish. You know, my personal relationship where I'm experiencing personally freedom from sin through Jesus Christ, yes? No, but free people were to actually raise their voices and were actually to have effect in the world that was to bring about freedom from oppression under the reign of their Messiah. And so the, so, so the, so the, the, the meaning then now, so why is there so much joy? Because the, the, the reign of the coming son was to accomplish freedom from oppression. And this was not lost to some of our early pioneers of the Advent movement, most notably William Miller. Now, what I'm going to share with you might be some news to some of you, and for some of you, it might be just kind of a refresher, but watch this. William Miller, listen to some of the language and words that William Miller used with this understanding that I'm showing with you right now. As the Advent movement is underway in the 1800s, right, mid-1800s here in America, the Baptist preacher, William Miller, some of you might remember some of your Adventist history, yes? And he is preaching in 1836. This is, this is years before 1843 and 1844 when they expected Jesus to return. You follow? So with this, with this momentum and this movement that's building that, yes, Messiah, Jesus is coming, not just the first time like he did the first time, but he's coming again the second time, okay? And so here's some of the language he's using. He's preaching in 1836, and he says, look, the, the judgment of the seven last plagues of Revelation. How many of you guys like reading about that in Revelation? Hmm? The, the judgment of the seven last plagues in Revelation, echoing the, the calling you back, right? Kind of, like, uh, kind of like shadowing the 10 plagues that fell in Egypt. Anybody remember that now in Exodus? Okay? Okay, he's saying that, that listen, if you want to understand the seven last plagues, that judgment, understand that the, 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 the 10 plagues that fell on, listen, slave-holding Egypt means, this is his preaching, that, though, that the judgment that's going to come at the second coming those seven plagues, this is his preaching, is going to fall in America on slave-holding pro-slavery people. Are you hearing that? He's making application between, listen, if you're going to understand what end-time prophecy is saying in end-time Babylon, the spirit of end-time Babylon, the characters and the people and the, and, and the main players in that scenario, then you need to understand what was happening back then. Are you seeing that? They're reading, him and his associates are reading Revelation 18, and by, and by the way, Revelation 14, the three angels' message and what it says about Babylon. And they're saying that the United States, remember their context is the United States of America, right, pre-Civil War. So as they're studying the prophecies and they begin to understand what the Bible says about America and Bible prophecy, they see this as their call to, to pronounce First of all, a critique on an unjust system. And two, they're announcing freedom from oppression. And guess what? Who did that appeal to in the preaching of the Advent message? How many people or what kinds of people do you think were drawn to that message of freedom from oppression at this time? Well, let me announce to you guys this morning that this is one of the reasons why the Adventists or the Millerites initially, but the Adventists were almost 100% abolitionists. Did you guys know that? 
William Miller, all of our founders. Matter of fact, our first GC president was actually a conductor on the Underground Railroad. Because they understood that if Messiah's coming means freedom from oppression, we have to lift our voices as we're announcing the gospel. We understand the implications of the gospel and what it means for us in society right now. And it means we have to announce freedom from oppression and also critique injustice. The prophetic voice of the church has to be heard if we're going to be announcing the coming of Messiah and his reign. I knew it would be quiet right about here. You see? And, 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 and this is part and parcel of what it means. Let me tell you guys something. We were not just abolitionists. Many of us were actually core leaders in the abolitionist movement in America. Did you guys know that? We were on the front lines. Matter of fact, I just discovered this. William Miller's headquarters and office was next door to the Society of the Freedom of, Abol of the Abolitionist Organization in New York. So they are seeing each other, communicating, and they're leaders in this movement. Practical implication of the gospel. Are you seeing this? And so they understand that this is actually, matter of fact, this was so much a part of the early DNA of the Advent movement. That listen, if it was actually discovered and heard that anybody a part of the movement, uh, and there's an actually an example of someone named Alex, I'm forgetting his last name, but but if anyone was to actually be discovered as being pro-slavery or being or being even just racist, they were actually by counsel of Ellen White, one of our co-founders, they were actually counseled. The counsel was given. They need to be immediately disfellowshipped. Because this cannot be associated with the Advent movement. Strong stance. Why? Because the coming kingdom means freedom from oppression. This is the understanding. Listen, when we gave the message back then that we're to come out of Babylon, people or churches need to come out of the system of Babylon, yes? It's quiet because I'm wondering if we have any Bible students in here. Is it, you understand what I'm talking about when I talk about Babylon? the system of Babylon. Do you guys know that one of the primary indicators in our early Advent movement that you were a part of Babylon and you needed to receive the loving call, come out, was that you were pro-slavery or holding slaves yourself. At our preaching, it is reported, particularly under, Mil under William Miller's preaching, one slaveholder who happened to be a Christian, the moment he heard this message, immediately freed all of his slaves. What I'm sharing with you is documented. I'm not, this, is, this is not me making this up. And it was coming out of, listen, their study of scripture. Revelation 18, it says in Revelation 18, 13, that the system of Babylon and, the, and the, the nation that would be primarily participating in that spirit would actually have a part of its merchandise, the slaves, the bodies and souls of men. Revelation 18, 13. And they're reading this. They're hearing the description, Revelation Chapter 13 and verse 11 of America in Bible prophecy is a lamb-like beast, a earth beast that speaks as a dragon and therefore that's been manifested in its early history. Yes, it will eventually manifest in outright religious oppression. That's Bible. But before you get there, it's letting you know that it has a character that's building up. 
And therefore, our early Adventist pioneers, Jay and Andrews particularly, understood that that is a distinct call for the prophetic voice of the church to raise its voice against injustice. An underappreciated meaning of the birth of Messiah. Listen, we sung a song, a song was just sung beautifully just now. I love the song, Oh Holy Night. I love Christmas songs. How many of you start singing back in like September? I start like in July, so I beat y'all. I love the song, Oh Holy Night, but did you hear verse three? Did you know that that song was originally uh, written back in France? I don't have time to go through all the, the, the history, but it was originally written back in France. And then 10 years after it was written, it was very popular up in France. Then it got brought to the United States of America by an abolitionist writer called John Sullivan Dwight. It made it popular here in the United States. Do you know that that song actually inspired the movement of abolition? Because particularly of verse three. Now, if I wasn't as hoarse as I am right now, I would sing it to you, but I'm just going to tell you. You may not have really listened to it, or maybe you've heard it, but it hasn't really dawned on you yet. Beautiful are the lyrics there that's talking about the birth of Christ, but look how they see the implication. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. This is the meaning behind the birth of Messiah, the king, whose reign means freedom from oppression. What does this mean to you, my fellow brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus in the Adventist movement? If you, regardless of your denomination, that many of you here might not actually be a part of our church, regardless of your denomination, if you follow Jesus and you are anticipating, you are seeking to be ready for the soon second coming of Messiah, the king, yes? Yes? Hallelujah, right? Okay, if that's the case, then you have to be staunchly against oppression. That's what that means. Staunchly. Because if you stand under the reign of the coming king now, then you have to be in harmony with him now. It's not just the eternal kingdom that's going to free people from oppression at the second coming. He wants people to be in that spirit now. And therefore, we can't make it comfortable for oppression to exist in thought, deed, whatever, in our spaces. Our voice has to be heard. And listen, if it's unclear for anybody under the sound of my voice, please understand that God is always on the side of the oppressed. And whenever we are not on the side of God. We're on the wrong side of history. And listen, we face receiving him when he comes in just judgment. That's Bible. And listen, that's also, please, good news. If you were in Egypt and listen, you saw the blood on the doorpost and you heard the message that this God is coming to free those, not just, by the way, we need to talk about this a little bit more, not just those that are Israelites, Anybody that put the blood on their doorpost, by the way, that's why there was a mixed multitude. It was prefiguring the good news of the gospel. It's for everybody. The judgment on Egypt meant freedom from those that were oppressed. And it's going to be the same thing at the second coming. 
Amen. Oh, but there's one last thing I want to share with you coming out of that passage. Come with me. Verse number six. Verse number six. One more thing that he wants you to know. One more thing that he wants you to know that brings joy. Joy when it comes to the birth of Christ. Verse number six. Listen, this is going to sound very familiar to you, of course, around this time of year. Listen. For unto us a what? Child is born. You could almost recite some of this from memory, some of you. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called what? Wonderful, Counselor, what else? Mighty God, what else? Ooh, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Whoa. Epic. And of course, we read that passage, and of course, we are nostalgically reminded of the birth story of Jesus. Amen. Unto us a son is given, a child is given. Yes. And we read that and we go, yes, wow, it's beautifully articulating very clearly, theologically, that Jesus, the coming Messiah, is fully divine, equal with God the Father. Amen. But please don't miss the emphasis of the text. It's letting you know about the government of the coming child that is the Messiah. It's letting you know the kind of king he is. And it's also letting you know as a expression of his kingship, the kind and quality of kingdom he's going to be ushering in. And you need to understand that at the birth of Jesus, the Caesar was proclaiming and declaring that he is the one, his universal kingdom is the one that brings peace, is the one that brings justice. So watch this. Therefore, the birth of Messiah, based on what the prophecies were depicting him to be, was actually a critique and protest against that system that really was not bringing peace and justice. That's why it was a dangerous thing, by the way, at that time to say Jesus is Lord because who was the only one that was supposed to be called Lord and Savior at that time? And even Son of God, the Caesar. And so Jesus is the, the Messiah's birth was communicating that where all other kingdoms and governments fail, his eternal kingdom is the only one that's going to truly bring peace and justice. It's the Messiah's reign that truly brings peace where there is no peace. What did the angels say when Jesus came? He said, fear not, yes. He said, fear not to the shepherds. What else did he say to the shepherds? What did they start singing? Peace, in light of the birth of Messiah, right? This day he shall be born, right? Messiah is here. He said, what? Peace on earth and goodwill to men. Yeah, but there's a reason why Jesus' birth and his life, death, burial, and resurrection split time in two. Something was ushered in to the, a reality that had not fully existed prior was ushered in at birth of Messiah. And we'll find its fullest manifestation at the second advent of Messiah. 
And part of that beautiful reign of love that comes through Messiah is peace and justice in a world where there is often no peace and no justice. I mean, if you guys are familiar with the beautiful um, cantata, often it's done out, Handel's Messiah. Yes, beautiful music, isn't it? How many of you are familiar with why people stand when the hallelujah chorus is sung? If you're familiar, you, know, you understand? Oh, y'all make me sing now. Okay. You know, hallelujah, 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 right? Hallelujah, right? Okay, when that song was sung, King George of England, it's reported, there, it's, it's been documented, there's some debate as why he stood, but he stood to his feet when the, when the true king, you also got to understand that their thinking was that they believed they were under divine reign. Like, in other words, they, they had a, their reign was validated by the true king. Yes? The, the quote-unquote Western Christian nations. Okay? And so he stood up as they sung praise to the true king. And it's reported that he said that we should stand whenever this song is sung because truly there is a king greater than I. Now, I don't know if you've ever done any research on King George II, but he wasn't the most squeaky clean character. And his reign wasn't squeaky clean either. And what, what an illustration of the fact that the king that we're celebrating his birth at this time of year is recognized as the king of kings and the lord of lords. Where our earthly systems fail, where our earthly leaders fail, we have a leader who never fails. We have a leader who truly brings peace when earthly systems and governments and kingdoms don't really truly bring peace. This is what, by the way, Daniel 2 is trying to say to us. The image, right, in Daniel 2. Daniel's talking to Nebuchadnezzar, and he's letting him know through the dream. He's interpreting it. All the secession of nations going down to Rome. Ultimately, Rome will fall. Ten Western European nations. And that's the last kind of representation of kingdoms and governments depicted in the prophecy until Jesus comes. The rock cut out without hands. That's going to crush all other kingdoms, right? And establish his universal kingdom, Yes. Now understand that that prophecy is depicting the end of time as being influenced primarily by those 10 Western European nations. If we look at our society today, our world today, it's dominated primarily by Western culture. That's just a fact. Are we not seeing the manifestation of what that prophecy was telling us? So what is it also telling us if that kingdom is going to come and crush all other kingdoms and establish a kingdom of eternal peace? and justice. It's letting us know that where all earthly governments fail to give peace, if you receive Jesus and the cross, you'll receive true peace on earth. It's letting you know that as a kingdom citizen, your loyalties are not in the broken systems and politics of this world. But you're most loyal, you get most passionate and animated about the kingdom of God. Because it's his kingdom that brings peace and justice. It, it, it means that, that you get excited about the, the, the lifting up of the true king 
And you're not trying to lift up other earthly leaders because guess what? As King George II realized, he says that truly there is a king greater than I. I wish some of us in the body of Christ would receive that truth from a very imperfect person. <laughs> that truly Jesus, when he came, was ushering in a kingdom that will find its fullest manifestation at the soon second coming of Jesus. But he's looking for his kingdom citizens now to be about kingdom life and business. And this is what some of the songs that we sing about Messiah's coming, about his birth, is communicating. We're going to sing this song, and uh, I believe we have verse 1 and 3 ready to go. We're going to sing as a congregation, O Holy Night. As we get to verse number three, I really want you to think about this underappreciated meaning of the birth of Messiah, that it means freedom from oppression, and that it also means that it, the ushering in of eternal peace and justice. And I want you to hear those lyrics and ask yourself, Holy Spirit, what does that mean for my life as a follower of the King? Thank you for listening to Living For Him podcast. I pray that you were blessed by this message and that you experienced the good news of the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. I'd like to personally invite you to respond to this good news and take the next steps in following Jesus by clicking the prompt in the description. I've also created a resource to help you experience the joy of a close relationship with Jesus called the Life in Christ Daily Devotional Journal. If you'd like to experience Jesus daily, watch the good news of his story unfold throughout scripture, and do this as a weekly small group gathering, then get your copy today in print or ebook by clicking the link in the description. Living for Him exists to tell the story of Jesus for the equipping of healthy disciple makers who extend his reign of love. If you'd like to support the further development of this exciting ministry, then I encourage you to become a monthly supporter by also clicking the link in the description. Your support is greatly appreciated. You're also invited to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting our website at livingforhim.tv. Lastly, we kindly ask that you write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other podcast platform you're listening to us on, and share this podcast with your friends. I look forward to meeting you here again in our next episode, where our desire is that you experience the joy of life in Christ. Once again, I'm CJ Cousins, and I'm living for him.